You guys, welcome back. We are so glad that you could be with us. We have a very special guest today, and we can't wait to hear his insight. Um, so stick around, and thank you for joining us on Sundays, Sundays at 7. Guys, we are so glad you could join us today. We have a very special guest. It is James Bush. Woo! Oh, that was perfectly in sync. Welcome, oh. James. Well, hi. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here. We are very glad you're here. Um, as some of you all might know, some of you all might not know, James is the youth and teaching pastor here at Calvary Christian Church. Um, we are actually starting chapter, is it chapter six? Whoa, we are rolling through it. Um, chapter 6 of Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. It is titled The Good Shepherds. And we thought it would be super great to get James on here because he kind of has that pastoral aspect and perspective. And um, we thought it would be super cool to kind of get his, you know, take on a lot of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. And last week, if y'all tuned into that one as well, y'all. Uh, we had a very special guest on that one as well. His name is Tate Cooney, and he was really great. He had so much insightful things to say. And I think that chapter really ushers us into this next one because we talk a lot about like servanthood and you know everybody has their place as a servant in the church and if you show up and have your heart in the right place and the good and in, good intentions you know that's really all that matters when you're a servant of Christ which perfectly leads I feel like the flip side of that now is kind of a serving in the church and also the servanthood of being a pastor mm-hmm. so I feel like that was a really good way to usher Segway. into this one and this chapter is it's very kind of specific, but also really like interesting and an interesting perspective from someone who is a pastor. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like Katie and I, we lead a small group at our church, and so we we do have like kind of a leadership like you know perspective, but it's different mm-hmm. hearing mm-hmm. it from someone who like you know is the shepherd of our church. Yes. You know, someone who has a, a way bigger flock than us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Ooh, nice. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right off the bat, James, I want to ask you this question. Okay. Actually, let's get to know you a little bit. Wait, I want to say first, I've known James since literally I think I was born. Yeah. I've known him forever. I guess I've known you since you were born. Yeah. (laughs) I remember when you came in in your car seat into the church, you know. Aw, baby K. I can't remember. Actually, both of you being very young, so. Yeah, this is kind of cool to be doing this. Yeah, true. It's it's a privilege. James used to always, like, uh, uh, crash our... uh, Sunday dinners at my grandmother's house. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> he would just show up Matt, all the time. Cousin Matt's one of my best friends, and so we had the opportunity to come out and to have some of the best meals I've ever had in my life at your, at your oh, granny's. She's, good stuff. she's a wonderful lady. Yeah, sure. definitely. Um, but let's just get to know you really quick. Uh, maybe just uh, take about uh, 30 seconds and just tell us your whole life story and go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I serve, as, as you said, as a youth and teaching pastor here at Calvary Christian Church. <clears throat> Uh, I have an incredible family, um, beautiful wife named Randa, and then I have a four-year-old daughter named Riley, who is exciting, uh, ex- explosive. <laughs> she has a, a very extroverted personality, she's and she's so fun to be around. Uh, and then I also have my uh, almost 19-month-old son, David, who is just uh, he's turning into mm-hmm. his own firecracker. Um, he's sort of kind of entering into those uh, really close to the terrible twos, where if he doesn't get his way, he sort of throws his head against the floor and oh. and uh, will just walk around rampaging, uh, which is 
it's kind of funny. Um, so we're working on that. <laughs> but he's so cute. He's so cute he as he rampages. Cute. And he we can't, he can't do anything. He's so cute as he rampages. Here's what I love about your kids, too. They're so comfortable with everyone. They like yeah. always run into the church, and they're greeted by everyone. They hug everyone. It's just so great. Well, they, don't, so they don't have much of a choice. They're here all the time. So That's true, it's yeah. part of their part of their life. So That's true. Um, really quick right off the bat, I just wanted to ask you, as like a leader, as a pastor, how do you think ministry has changed? Because you, you started out, you knew you wanted to be a pastor at a young age, and so you yeah. kind of started out super young. How do you think that? Yeah, my dad was a pastor, and uh, you know, he died when I was seven years old in a car accident. Prior to his death, though, I knew I always wanted to be what my, my dad was. I think that was kind of the beginning of it, and... I really didn't have any second guesses. It was never a, a, a question in my career path, really, would I do this. But I remember uh, in seventh grade really hearing God's voice, really really calling me uh, to full-time uh, ministry or shepherding ministry. And um, I think in the in the 11 some years that I've done full-time ministry, uh, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, nationally, the landscape has changed. Culturally, uh, you know, we're always shifting. Something's always changing. And so... Uh, where ministries have survived and thrived, I think they've learned how to adapt where they need to adapt with culture and subvert culture where they need to subvert. You know, and I think that means you have to have you have to be really faithful to your understanding of the Bible and your prayer life. So uh, it changes. I mean, it changes. It'll in the next decade. I'm confident that we'll see it be really different from where we are right now. Talking about, in some ways, it doesn't change. In some ways, you have the same you have the same issues. You still have people who. Um, who are, are in sin, who need to hear the good news, and uh, that's never going to change. That's that's a truth. Um, but the way we deliver it, sometimes the way that we we uh, the method behind it. Yeah, methods change. The way we gather mm. people changes. It, it's yeah. Yeah, gotcha. I love this part right here at the beginning of the chapter. Um, it talks about how God is for the leader. And it, it goes into a couple um, examples, one in Numbers, when he stri- when he stri- when God strikes Miriam with leprosy, when she dared to speak against Moses. That was fun. <laughs> and then also Gosh. again in Second Kings when he caused a couple of bears to maul 42 people when they mocked Elisha. Yeah, Were they calling pe- like the bald? Yeah, he was they, bald or something? It was like more like uh, children, teenagers. So, I mean, it's interesting he calls them people. Yeah, they, yeah, I mean, if we want to get more like... Um, more scathing, I guess. It it, it was uh, it was kids. So. Oh, man. <laughs> um, Get up, good ball, man. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, forty two bears? Yeah, or no, forty two bears would be forty two. Right. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Well, I'd never heard that story until recently. Someone told me. I didn't even know it was in the Bible. It's intense. Yeah, um, but I love how it talks about you know in those instances he is for us and he will stand up for us. But then also in the next paragraph it talks about how he says you know uh, in James it talks about how leaders will be more judged or mm-hmm. judge more harshly, mm-hmm. and then how they will have to give an account for how they've shepherded yeah. and all this stuff. And and even though that's kind of like a more like convicting side, like God is still for us and He's mm-hmm. giving us these instructions because mm-hmm. He you know wants His glory to be shown in yeah. a specific way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful statement, and it's a sobering one too. When you are practicing, you know, vocational ministry, when you when you are shepherding in whatever capacity that you you do that, uh, yeah, there is a higher level of accountability, and it's a sobering reminder that you are you are setting an example. Uh, in the same breath, I think that uh, we have to be careful. While you are setting an example, you have to be careful to stay humble. And obviously, the book's going to get into this a little bit, but. You're not on a pedestal, right? You're not somebody special just because you're you're called to this type of ministry. You are 
um, you're, you're being set apart to help people fully become you know, who God created them to be. And uh, that, that is a very sobering. That's a very humbling activity which to, that, we, that we engage in. So. Mm-hmm. I love, um, you said things about exalting. Like, uh, I remember on my, on my trip in Thailand, we kind of talked about this a little bit and talks about it later in the chapter too, but that verse in James that says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a discussion about that, which is really kind of pertinent to pastors as well. Like, it's not our job to exalt ourselves. Like, that's his job. And I remember that being re- really resonating with me. Like, I don't have the power to exalt. Like, that's not my thing. I just, like, humble myself before the Lord and let him work through me. And then the exalting is yeah. is what he does. So. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's a great word. I have a, I have a professor uh, where I go to school. And one of the things that he has said is that ministry the ministry into which we've been called is the is the ministry of Jesus the Son to the Father through the Holy Spirit for the sake of the church and the world and what I love about that uh, this is Dr. Stephen Siemens what I love about that is the idea that Jesus is the over shepherd mm-hmm. and we're the under shepherd uh, and, and then when you did you can we get drilled down on that but even when you get past that the, 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 the first priority of ministry is to exalt the Father it's to glorify God. And that's what Jesus is all about in the Gospels. You can't get away from that. He's like, I'm about my Father's business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's through the Holy Spirit. So, that, so that, that, that creates a whole lot of um, really safe boundaries, right? Because like, mm-hmm. then, then and only then do you turn uh, to the, the church and the world. And that, that I think, is one of, the, one, of the, you know, one of the great ways to prevent burnout uh, because, it's, because it's not your ministry. You know, I have a problem with people that name ministries after themselves, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not your ministry. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not. It's Jesus' ministry. That's it. The, the end. It's his ministry. And uh, you didn't die on a cross, and you didn't live a perfect life, and you can't form the bridge for people uh, from death to life. Only Jesus could do that. And you don't want that responsibility. You don't. You don't. That, that, that costs everything. Um, so on the one hand, you know, you can't, uh, on the other hand, you're supposed to be being made into the image of Jesus who does say, pick up your cross and come after me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I love the idea that, you know, like, again, what you were saying, you, you have to humble yourself and realize it's not yours. Mm-hmm. Well, when you under, when you do that, that's very liberating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. James is a spicy guest <laughs> coming in hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> one thing that I really love, um, also we talk about on this podcast a lot about modeling the moment and how important it is. Like if we're going to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk. Sure, yeah. yes. And in this book oh, it says, it asks the question, is my relationship with Jesus one that I want replicated? Mm-hmm. And it kind of, when you go down a little bit, it says, if there's no one following you, is something wrong with your life? Mm-hmm. And I think in one, we were talking, Kate and I were talking about this before we started. In one sense, like when I immediately read that, I thought like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like you, it's, like I said, you, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Like um, you have to make sure that your actions are speaking louder than your words. And we you know we've talked about that a lot, but maybe kind of explain what you were there's a flip side to right. it, and she kind of saw it. Well, in I a just thought way. of this this as I was reading that question. Like as leaders, as we said before, we lead a, a group of small group 
or we lead a small group of sophomore <laughs> girls, and we talk to them a lot about how, like, you know, God isn't call the equipped, equips the call, mm-hmm. that thing you always hear, and you don't, you're never going to be fully ready, you're not perfect, so just, like, he's going to lead you as he calls you, that kind of thing, but then also on the flip side of that, you know, you could read this to them, like, is your relationship with Jesus one that you want to be replicated, or, like, if there's no one following you, then, you know, is something wrong with your life, so it's like, learning how to navigate those two truths um, as a leader and as a as a pastor? Uh, yes. Um, I think, and I think this is something that in the last couple of years I've really been convicted about especially, and again, this is where that, that ministry quote about it's, it's Jesus' ministry really comes in um, to play is uh, I love in the book he says the point is that we should not assume anyone is in a position of spiritual authority that deserves to be there mm-hmm. and I think uh, you know it, the the evidence of, of good ministry is the fruit right and it's not just it's not just that you're bearing fruit but down the road ultimately are people's are, can you see your fruit in other people's trees in other words oh. uh, and that's not my quote actually your, your dad Steve told me about that quote um, what a man, Steve. Yeah, you know, Steve. <laughs> but, uh, but the idea is right, right? That you're discipling, and the parts of your life that are um, that are really, like you said, that you can replicate, and, and that would be good to replicate. That that um, will not be perfect, obviously, because we're imperfect. But that will have a strong moves toward the image of Jesus, right? Those those parts of our life where we're where we have a strong prayer life. You know, we're supposed to pray with unceasing. You mean to me? That's a conversation that's just going on. You know, all day long, you know, you can, you can jump right into, you know, are you studying the Word of God on your own? Mm-hmm. And I think that we're, we're, we're living, one of the things we're, you asked earlier as ministry is changing, I think we're living in an increasingly biblically illiterate mm. uh, culture, uh, where I mean, what I mean to say is I think people will read the Bible. Uh, I think sometimes they read it surface level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as in-depth study, <clears throat> I'm finding less and less uh, people who really commit to to understanding of the word, um, and so what happens is then you just take a pastor's word for it. That's very dangerous. Uh, that's very dangerous because um, you know what, what if what if what if for example I were to get up and preach a sermon and I just invented a verse. You know, would somebody be able to call me on that? You know, I, and, and I mean I, I'm just I'm using that as an example because I actually think at our church we have a lot of folks who are really really biblically literate and certainly not are biblically literate. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'm talking about cultural in general, mm-hmm. uh, Christian culture even. I, I think we're <clears throat> less people committed. However, on the again on the flip side, something like the Bible app has been just a wonderful revelation I think for people because it's encouraging people to study mm-hmm. the Word together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as, as far as and pastors, easily accessed and easily accessed as far as pastors go, yeah, you, you know, is the evidence there? Do you see the fruit of the spirit in their life? Are they are they seeking to glorify God or to build them build themselves up? And um, I have a question. So you're talking about Bible reading and stuff, and that is very as you know, as a youth pastor, that is something. That's really hard to kind of translate onto, yeah. you know, younger kids. So yeah. what would be, like, your number one, like, you know, s- someone who's really wanting to get into the Bible, there's this 
I wish this wasn't a thing. There's this looming like reputation that it's boring. And I don't mm-hmm. understand yeah. it and blah, blah, blah. So what would you say how to like overcome that hump? And Yeah, well, first of all, that's a lie from Satan, right? That it's boring. And I mean, obviously, you, you know, that, that, that would be that would be my response. That may be my immediate response because you cannot read this text. And I mean, you know, I probably wouldn't tell a teenager, for example, who's just, you know, maybe become a Christian or say, I'm going to really, I'm going to, I'm going to have practice in my life. I wouldn't say go read Lamentations um, <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, maybe one of the more challenging books in the Bible to just kind of get into, you know, maybe one of the books of the law where you're really kind of going, wait, what? <laughs> um, Leviticus. But, right. But, uh, but, uh, but those are important books and you eventually do need to get into those. I think, you know, you start in the Gospels and if you want to start simple, you go Mark. And if you want to start, you know, you want to read a book that's very, it almost plays like a drama, like a Greek, like a Greek play. The, the Gospel of John is just, it's so powerful and impactful. And there are just so many scenes like, I, you know, I was thinking today and about Lazarus and the scene there in John. I mean, it's just, there's just so much going on. Uh, uh, so I, I would say that. And then I think it's about cultivating good study habits. And that mm. you have to show people how to do that. You have to show people how they can break down a text um, in a way that maybe makes sense to them. And you have to empower people to know, okay, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Who, who can I go to? You know, my small group mm-hmm. leaders, my, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's a pastor. You know, who, who, who loves the Bible and celebrates the word and who can I go talk to? Does that answer Celebrates that? the word. I yeah. Like I think yeah. being committed is a huge thing. I feel like we live in a culture who shies away from commitment a lot. Oh, sure. Yeah. Just in, I mean, in everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And being committed to serve, kind of like we talked about last week, or just committed to coming to church in general. Yeah. I think that... Sure. Um, we're just like almost scared of commitment because mm-hmm. once we're in, you got to be in. Yep. You know, once you believe in Jesus and you're, you know, proclaiming that He is a Savior, that's what you know you are. Yep. That's what you're doing, mm-hmm. and people almost shy away from that because they, they neglect, and they don't want to put the work in either. Yeah, they because neglect, they're lazy. lazy. They neglect yeah. the assembly, and I think more and more culture competes with the spaces where we choose to worship together as a church. And at some point, and I, I can't remember where this is. You, you know, there's a. There is a sacredness to this, and oh, um, yep. we tying in chapter two. Yeah, we have to <laughs> we have to celebrate the sacredness of of gathering together and not neglecting to to gather. Sing, sing songs and hymns and psalms of praise to one another. To be grateful to the Father for the Son and to be mutually submissive to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Ephesians five. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of goes into after talking about like modeling the moment and everything about the traps of ministry and I thought this part was really interesting because there's a lot of different traps do you have any like intake on what you kind of like the trap of avoiding criticism which I feel like a lot of people do that anyway you know people don't like to be I've I mean my husband told me today like oh heaven forbid someone criticize what you're doing you know because I don't take criticism well mm. yeah, no, but no, no, nobody does I don't think anybody just go loves to just be like criticize me yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's a discipline and so for example I think for pastors who preach um, so you're proclaiming the word uh, the, the, it's it's an art it's a craft it's uh it's it's very much an art form, and it's it's very much love a, a, a loving mm-hmm. it's a loving undertaking the, the the crafting of a sermon, and it's something that you always are working to, get, to become better at. And having that critique when you spend the time and energy you put into a week to talk, you know, the hours and hours that go into talking for twenty minutes, or in my case, you know, forty minutes. Um, one hour. Yeah, one hour. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm the, the, the time that goes into that, though, then to have it laid open. 
you, that's a humbling uh, exercise. And so we, we have a process uh, when we break down, whether it's a, a sermon in our in our youth service in Sunday morning live, or if it's a sermon in, I'm pointing with my hand because we're in the sanctuary. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, we didn't even mention that. Uh, oh, to yeah. the adult service. Um, we have a process where we talk about descriptive affirmations, what went well and, and why. Be specific and then constructive suggestions. So, you know, let's not take the, you know, let's not take somebody out with like, your sermon was terrible. It's like, what were you thinking? Like, did you even look at the Bible? Um, but more about, you know, okay, this, this, this was, I didn't understand this. or This, this seemed tough or the congregation seemed to check out here. Uh, you were over people's heads here, you know, some things like that. Like, you know, maybe you could tweak this, and then you know, a final blessing. What what was the takeaway from the message? And mm-hmm. so, when you when you will avail yourself to that kind of constructive criticism, it's really great. At the same time, you have as a pastor, you have to have a certain kind of, um, I'd say, border or barrier up. I mean, you have to be really careful with how you, the language here. So There's just not really good words for this, but uh, there are a select few people who actually have access to really just. You know, saying James, you are in error. It's not. I mean, I wouldn't listen to somebody who came and say that. But, but the deal is, is I've had people tell me, you know, that I'm not Christ-like. I've had people tell me that I don't have a personality. I've had people tell me that, um, you know, why am I in ministry? I mean, I've seen anonymous letters written to pastors uh, that are scathing from people in the church, but who chose to re- remain in anonymity. Uh, because they did that, and, and they said the most heinous things to other people who I work with, and and uh, you know, there's a level of this isn't this this isn't Christ-like. What's happening right now isn't mm-hmm. Christ-like. You're not promoting Jesus at all in your in your words or actions, and um, so in, in some sense, you have to develop, I guess, uh, healthy boundaries. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. hard. That's not easy. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get burned out in ministry real fast because. You have to have a certain level of tough skin. Yeah. And my mom told me, because she knew I wanted to go into ministry, and she said, I wish you'd do something else. Now, this is a pastor's wife who loves the Lord. Um, but she said, I wish you'd do anything else. And I think, you know, as I've done this longer, I realize what she's saying is this is tough. I mm-hmm. mean, this, there's a challenge to this. And, I, and, I, and, of course, I love it. But, I mean, it's sometimes it's really... It's funny because it's like the greatest challenge but the greatest honor at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. It you is. Know? It's a really good way of saying it. It can be <clears throat> blistering, mm-hmm. and you can be really hurt. Um, by things that are said. As, as far as the other traps, I mean, um, you know, I think the trap of comparison is a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trap of popularity, that's that's one I think is just a really, really uh, important. I actually appreciate the trap of demonic attack, and I think that because we live in a disenchanted West where Ooh. we don't talk about demon possession and we don't mm-hmm. talk about spiritual warfare, at least not in some charismatic movements are more, uh, have appropriated this uh, with a better handle. They care more about what uh, uh, what this means, and um, they're really in tune with that. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think we can take it too far, but I believe that uh, pastors are always under attack, mm-hmm. and um, their families are under attack, and it's it's it can be it can be really heavy sometimes and constant, and you can have a lot of uh, things happening all at once. It's just like anybody, but when you add the level of that you're doing, you're shepherding people, but that can mm. make it can make it challenging yeah for sure i like um i just have a question about number six it's this trap of ministry is a trap of safety and he says we place our pastors in a church office surrounded by christians for 40 hours a week and then ask them to teach us about living by faith yeah so and i wanted to hear your take on that especially in a small town like you know we live in winchester so so. let me say something about francis chan I, i i really appreciate francis and i think there's a there's a there's a the critique i would that i've heard 
about Francis. And again, I don't know him personally, and I and I, I can't tell you how much his preaching has influenced me. So, hear that as a, you know, he left this church, and he's very forward about that in this book. You know, when you when you hear people, and of course it's hard to hear people, but when you see reviews of this book or reviews of any of Francis's work from people who were in the church when he left it, um, you know, that's a different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we have to kind of um, we have to balance that out. Uh, so when I hear him say that, you know, I know what he's doing now, and I, and I can, and I certainly understand that. Um, and yes, you can fall, definitely fall into the trap of being completely surrounded by church folks. And I, and I, and I think to some extent, as a shepherd, that is part of the part of the job, right? You, your job is to help disciple people who are going to disciple people. For example, I know both of you work in institutions that are secular, right? You know, and um, by nature, you're of, you are around people. Uh, your sphere of influence is greater in terms of pagan, and I mean pagan, I mean people who don't 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 believe in Jesus. The 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 secular world, you have greater spheres of influence, right? That's that's a natural thing. Unless you're in a in another nonprofit Christian parachurch, something like that, you're gonna you're gonna have more exposure. That doesn't mean that um, I don't have a responsibility. And so one of the things I do is I I, I volunteer with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, mm. I chaplain our middle school and high school football teams. Uh, during the course of their season, and then in the spring, I, I chaplain the tennis team, and um, and and get 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 exposed to students in that way. And so I'm definitely, you know, in a football locker room. You're certainly not in, um, mm-hmm. you're not in a church. <laughs> uh, you're 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 around all kinds of uh, of issues. But I also would just say this, like inside. And this is where I, again, this is where I have a little bit of an issue. Inside church, I uh, I, I go. I'm, I stand with people who are dying in hospital rooms. I, um, whether believers or not, I I go to visit people who are suffering with cancer or whatever else in, in, in hospitals. I, I I deal with students who live in toxic home situations and are coming from toxic problems. I just I think that's a um, there's there's it's a sentence really. It's not enough really to explain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that um, it there is a trap. Mm-hmm. He's right, um, but I, I think you know. You, you can do stuff within the context where you are. I yeah. agree with that, and that's why I wanted to mention it because I feel like that's such a misconception. Like, in order to live a radical faith, you have to, or to be a radical pastor, you have to go to a different country, which is great, and I've done it, so I know yeah. mm-hmm. the impact that it has, but I also think there's such power in, like, being rooted in a community and yes. learning how to have a radical faith, like, in a small, you know, in so a small way. Let's just echo you what you said. I know we don't move <clears> on, but, but God, you know, my life, my journey, you know, got, I moved here when I was five years old to Winchester in this community I've grown up in. So contextually, I, I'm most at home here, which means that for me to go somewhere else and have maybe the same efficacy, the same effectiveness to go somewhere else, I have to learn about that culture. You know, when you you went to Thailand, for example, it took you a while probably to feel to feel I don't say the word comfortable, but but really kind of at a place where you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting this. But you would you would even I mean you would agree like it would acclimated take, to the culture. Yeah, it would mm-hmm. take a lot longer to fully acclimate yourself to the culture and to understand every idiomatic expression every time somebody does something uh, you know different that you know. I remember I served in Budapest and I remember I crossed my legs one time on a bus and these old ladies these little old ladies were sitting across from me and I crossed my legs so the the bottom of my foot was was showing to her. Mm. <clears throat> I'm listening to my headphones. I'm just, you know, just digging it, you know, whatever. She <laughs> reaches up and just hits me with my, her purse. Just slaps me on my leg. I'm, <laughs> that I'm is like, amazing. I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you said it's amazing. I'm like, yes. what just happened? 
and the other lady could speak a little bit of English, and she said she didn't like that your foot was like that. And so I get I asked the pastor who's you know been there a long time at this point. He's from America too. But I said, what happened? He's like, you. That's a sign of disrespect in their culture wow. to show the bottom of your foot, and it's actually a sign of disrespect in a lot of cultures. But like it's, it's like stuff like that. So, so, so here I understand the culture in Winchester. You know, I know what the the power of L eight one is, and, and you know, and, you know. So I mean, like. Anyway, that's well, that and also like it, like you said, it's so great to go like overseas and to serve those people and to spread the gospel. But like here, where you're in your community, and those people, you're able to follow up with the people that you're counseling and shepherding, and you're able, yeah, you're able to like hold them to like some kind of accountability and meet with them, and you know, and, and we obviously don't know like long term like what God's plans are like and what our impact is or whatever, but like just following up intentionally with the people that you are around, I think is a really important too that yes. a lot of people miss. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. After, after the traps, it kind of goes into the different kinds of pastors, the Christian pastor, the spiritual pastor, the praying pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a specific question for you about the praying pastor. I know that you have been um, kind of your, your, I feel like your prayer life has kind of transformed a little bit. And I kind of wanted you to kind of, to talk about that. Yeah. I, I went through probably the darkest period spiritually of my life. Uh, well, it's one of the darkest over the last few years. And just a lot of things happened all at once. And I was suddenly down in the valley. Um, and I knew it was in a lot of, facing a lot of trials, like a multi, it was just a multifaceted uh, series of trials. And, um, for the sake of time, I'll just say it was just, it was just really, really intense. And um, at the same time, I started my doc, my doctoral work, and these classes, I just can't tell you how important they were for me. And I was exposed to some of the most incredible people, you know, just people from America, people from abroad, India and Africa and Europe, who are um, pastors in, in in the church that's persecuted, and just got my. God just kind of got me by the shoulders and just started saying, "Hey, look, it's not that bad." And and uh, you are you and I are we're not having the kind of relationship that we need to have. And and so I really began to work on my prayer life, and and it's changed just everything. I mean, it's mm-hmm. changed everything. I I'm a different person uh, when my prayer life is where it is, and. Um, you know, from a Bible perspective, study Bible. I've always, I think, I think kind of in disciplines, we kind of, we kind of lean in when some people are better faster, some people are better prayers. So I'm, for me, studying the Bible is my, that's like, yeah, I, I can do that all day. You're that's like a fun. sponge. I love it. I love it. And um, praying, praying is not so easy because I'm an extrovert, and I get by myself. I start praying, you know, and just the first thing I think, I, get, I just get really distracted. You know, before I fall retreat this past semester. I, uh, I committed just to pray for it. It's just a half hour straight. Some people are like, you know, he, the bookie says you got to pray for an hour. You know, I try to pray throughout the day. But I just wanted to commit through a, for a, a straight half hour of prayer, okay? And so for me, I mean, that was really challenging. But it was also so rewarding. Like, it was worth the effort. It just, it's just not as easy for me to pick up a commentary in the Bible and to start highlighting and, and going and asking questions and figuring out where I want to be, you know, with the text. You know, prep, so, so inviting the Holy Spirit into... Um, to, to control my day, to guide my day, to, to, to guide my footsteps, man, that's that's changed a lot for sure. And I, I I really don't know how you can really thrive without that kind of prayer life. 
Yeah. I we agree. underestimate the power of it a lot of times. I yeah. Think. And I think a lot I of times do, we, personally. we think about <laughs> prayer as like a one-way thing. Like we're just talking to God. But it isn't just that. There Absolutely. are specific times when you need to like sit and, you know, listen and kind of, you know, it's a, it's a two-way street. Yeah. It's not just you presenting everything to him. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. Putting yourself in a position to listen. Yeah. Um, one of the things I also really love is when it talks about the humble pastor and the verse in James. Katen kind of brought it up earlier. James 4, 5 through 10. I love this whole thing. And I feel like a lot of times, kind of going along with what I just said about prayer, like we just give all of these things to God and give all these things to God, which is good. Like we do need to talk to God and we do need to, you know, you know, in that way. But he requests some things from us like abide in me and I will abide in you and I just want to read this part it just says therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you So there are things like he will exalt us when we humble ourselves. He will draw near to us when we draw near to him. The devil will flee from us when we resist him. Yeah. There are specific things that we need to do as well. Like I said, it's a two-way relationship. I think you mentioned that in your sermon this morning. Ooh. Like their relationship is like a reciprocal yeah, God, relationship. The Father's love comes to us, <clears throat> um, and we're to return the love. It's too easy to get in the salvation bucket and to say, well, I've done everything. And, of course, you, you can't. You can't read Romans and um, and get past that, you know. Should I keep on sinning? You know, uh, the, the the Greek there is meganoito, and that's a very emphatic. By no means, just the way the English, the English comes in. And um, you had a professor who would say, "That's a meganoito. That's a he double hockey stick." No. Oh my gosh! Hey, a seminary professor. Um, <laughs> we have to cut that, but uh, <laughs> I like it. I'm keeping it. Uh, he said, it. "I'm just, I'm just." Uh, that's his. Uh, that was his point, though. His point was to say, "This is so emphatic that Paul is coming alongside and he's saying, you absolutely cannot keep on sinning. You must humble yourself. You must come into this, mm-hmm. this, this uh, relationship." And it, it, may I just, may I just say one more thing about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Um, American culture, especially, but there are there are cultures all over that do this uh, in, within the within the context of church, tend to elevate pastors into a, onto a pedestal they were never designed to be on, mm-hmm. and this comes back to the idea of, of that this is Jesus's ministry. The high point of a worship service is not uh, the sermon, and I'm a preacher, so hear me say that uh, it's not a sermon and it's not the praise music, although I think a lot of people come, yeah. Sorry. Occasionally leads worship. A lot of people come, you know, probably uh, for one of those reasons. You know, they like the quality of the worship or they like the, the particular preacher. They like the, 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 the way they deliver the content or whatever the, the case may be. They feel like they learn something. And, and all those things are good. <clears throat> but if, if one of those things, <coughs> excuse me, if one of those things becomes the pedestal, then we've put people on something they were never designed to be on. The high point of the worship service to me is the Eucharist. It's communion. And this is why I think we ought to practice it as often as we gather because uh, the, the, the power of that is is that Jesus himself instituted this table, and he was doing the will of the Father. And his table is a table of fellowship for sure, but it's also a table of suffering. 
he's doing this on the eve of his his arrest and crucifixion and mm-hmm. you know br- br- the, br- the scourge I mean the br- brutality of what he was about to go through not to mention that he would become our sin um, th- this this is a major moment and he invites us to that table and, and breaks the bread and and and, and you know, takes the cup which we think it's the third cup the cup of wrath and and he passes that in the context of the Seder and says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And take, eat, take, drink, remember me. Yeah. When we go to the table, and, and, and this is, to, to me, the sermon always lines up, and even worship always lines up with the table. Mm-hmm. Because where two or three are gathered, there Jesus is. And here we are gathered, and here we have the opportunity now to come to that table. How dare we come lightly to it? How dare we come without examining our lives? How dare we come to this table um, without really looking at it? But at the same time, the invitation is to come to the table where we are all equal. You know, Galatians talking about uh, at the foot of the cross, you know, the, the, the slave or free Greek or, or Jew, uh, male or female, that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. That is such a, that is such a dynamic, what a powerful and radical verse that yeah. has just subverted culture through the centuries who always wants to put some group down. Mm-hmm. The Bible comes along and says, no, at the, at the cross, everybody's equal. And this is the table we come to. And, and when you make that the high point of the service, it takes the pastor off the pedestal. doesn't mean the pastor's not accountable. I'm not trying to, like, 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 you know, escape some kind of accountability or whatever, or the worship leaders aren't or anything like that. It just means that they're not, they're not the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And they never were and they never were, they were never meant to be. That this is all about glorifying the Father. And to me, that's the opportunity that we have on a weekly basis to, mm-hmm. to come. That's why, to me, it's such, it's such an important part of the service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's whoa, powerful. I feel like my main takeaway from this whole chapter is just who are you going to church for? Are you going to church for yourself just to cross off a box and make yourself feel good? Are you going for the pastor, you know, because you like his preaching? Are you going for the worship because you like that? Or are you actually going because you want to experience who Jesus is and you want to be able to put yourself in a position to be equipped so that you can go out and perform his main commission, which is to go make disciples of all nations. That's what we are supposed to do as believers of Jesus. And so I think it's just kind of check yourself. This is a check yourself chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you aren't the head pastor of a church, I mean, you more than likely are leading something in some kind of capacity. And you do have to examine your own heart before you start to try to lead those people. Mm-hmm. You know, where are you? Where are you at? What are your intentions? Yeah, Jesus' biggest critique in the Gospels, one of his biggest critiques is of people who uh, were, were religious leaders, and his and his main critique is, you know, he doesn't mince words. You know, you're whitewashed tombs. You're, you're you're tombs that don't have names on it. You know, that's what you are. You're hypocrites. I mean, um, I will I will say I think that's right. I think that's the ultimate goal, right? Like that we're to come to church with that mindset. Um, but the beautiful beautiful thing about church, and this is why we have shepherds, I think, is because people are in different places. Mm-hmm. You know, in Hebrews, we're supposed to be going from spiritual milk to, you know, what, what I call the steak dinner, right? We're supposed to be getting to the mm-hmm. point where we're, um, but if you're like a vegetarian or vegan, you know, whatever the equivalent of that is, you know, that, that kind of meal. Um, I, I'm just trying to be inclusive of everybody. Impossible Whopper. <laughs> the impossible Whopper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to move on to the spiritual maturity. And you have people all over the spectrum. And actually, uh, your your mom, who then told your dad, who told me, said so. Shanda told Steve. Yeah, Shanda told Steve. They're told pretty me, good. Um, uh, people are coming to church sometimes just to get what they can need to survive the day, the week, mm. and they're in a place where they're not. Mm-hmm. They're not where like maybe yeah. you all come in, and and that's where you are t- today. Um, and I think that's the beautiful part of the church, right? That we're we're, we're supposed to be moving, like, certainly on a trajectory, but that we have all kinds of people coming into the. 
into the building where we gather and uh, that's the beauty of the church you know uh, we we help lift one another up and i think that's why once we understand first we're to exalt the father mm-hmm. then you have something like ephesians 5 where it says don't be drunk on wine but be filled with the spirit which the contrast there is it's going to look something like being drunk on wine uh, hear what i'm saying you're so filled with the spirit that then you're enabled to sing songs and in hymnody to one another you're grateful for god uh, for jesus the son to god the father and you're mutually submitted to one another Without any fear of what everyone else is thinking right. about you. That's mm-hmm. right. And and so this is a, this is this is church is a is a work in progress always right. We're mm-hmm. always moving. And pastors, man, uh, will fail. And uh, you know, at our church, that's certainly uh, we have certainly seen the the, the case there with uh, in the, in over time. And and but at any church, you're going to see that. Uh, well, we're know, all human. Yeah, we've all. I, I mean, I certainly make mistakes, and I think uh, um, this is this is the journey that we get to awesome privilege we get to do it together and i will say this my life my what i do what an awesome privilege i love what i do i love the opportunity to serve and to shepherd and to lead um it is it is an awesome responsibility and the more i pray the more i realize that it's not you just can't take it lightly mm-hmm. and so i'm very grateful for that the opportunity so that's awesome do you have any main takeaways yeah, well, I just kept thinking as, you know, as you said something and then as you said something, just coming back to that idea of, you know, when we all, I'm looking at the, this, <laughs> we're in the, the altar, I guess you could say, um, right now, and when we come to that, you know, we're all seen as, mm-hmm. and I think as a worship lead, well, I just sing. Um, worship leader. But, like, in, ter- in a way that's kind of like, you know, a way of shepherding people. Yeah, definitely. And, um there's this I heard a song once and he was talking he was kind of praying throughout the song and he said you know we come into this room with a song on our hearts that only we can sing but yeah mm-hmm. when we we're all singing the same song but it's different for each one of us because we're even though it's the same words we're crying out in a different way and I think that's so that's just the church yes. you know like we're all singing the same song but it means something different to each one of us but because we're unified in Jesus's name is what unifies that's us good. And I love and I love that, and that's kind of what I'm taking away from this yeah. chapter. May I say, I just, please? You say something. Um, I was reading a book for my one of my homiletics, my preaching course uh, this past um, semester, and is an older pastor, like lived in the 1800s. I don't know, but it, but his point was that uh, you can give the same text, uh, the same the same verses, okay, to a past to a bunch of pastors. You can even give them the same points, okay. But what's the beauty of the of the Holy Spirit working in all of us is I'm going to preach a sermon different than you would, different than you would, different than the person down the street will. And that's the, that's the beauty of the church mm-hmm. is you're, not, you're going to hear it differently. The word's going to be proclaimed differently depending on the way God's gifted that communicator, that preacher to proclaim it. And um, man, that to me, that again, that's just just to echo what you said. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom mm-hmm. uh, that it's not streamlined to one person. Uh, well, it is, but it, that person is Jesus, and it's it's not streamlined to any any one of us. It's uh, it's in service of the of the Son to the Father through the Holy Spirit for the sake of the church and the world. Yeah, Amen, Amen, Amen. <laughs> James, thank you so much for coming James, on the podcast today. Thank you. Privilege. It was on. so fun. These podcasts, you know, they just fly by. I'm just really thankful that when when uh, when you guys become super famous, <laughs> <laughs> I will have said. They recorded my voice one time. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a privilege. It's an honor, and I'm really thankful for the way that you all lead at our church and um, and for the way that you, for just the time you take to do something like this. And um, 
the, the impact you make on our students, not just our students, but, but certainly our, specifically our students. I know that they look up to and, and adore you guys as well and uh, really respect you. And so very grateful for that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right, guys. This is where we close. Uh, we're so sad. There's so much in these chapters that mm. we could talk about. But as we were talking, I was like, man, I want to say something again. I want to say something <laughs> me again. Me too. Me too. But we've already, it's like been 43 minutes, which is crazy. Like it just goes by so fast. Um, but we thank you for joining us today, our faithful listeners. We want to give a shout out to Liz Shimwell. Yes, Liz Shimwell, shout out. Hey, Liz. <laughs> um, but we just want to thank everyone for joining us and hope that you come back next week for Sundays, Sundays at 7. 7. Bye, guys. <laughs>